touchdown, touchdown, running in the first place for number one. Harris drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Torn to five, it went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tigertown. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? What the hell's going on with Speedy? A little right. weird. It's a little weird. Uh, that clip just reminded me, hey, I was watching the game against Montreal on the weekend. The bonanza that was the Hamilton-Montreal Week 9 matchup that will go down in the history books as one of the most entertaining matchups between those two teams ever in the regular season. Uh, and Speedy, like when they would throw to him once in a while, DT, I would go, oh, yeah. Yeah, look at that. I forgot about him. <laughs> it's been a little while there. Uh, welcome, to, welcome to the podcast, everybody. It is right here for you, the breakdown. Uh, and uh, we are very excited this week because we are zeroing in on something that is near and dear to DT's heart. And I'm just super interested to see where we get with this conversation. We are talking Riders offense, exclusively Riders offense. When we began the breakdown, this was really what we had envisioned was every week we would pick one topic and we would dive deep into it and explore Mm -hmm. all of the different numbers and permutations and everything that go with it. Uh, Throughout the season, we've just been so excited to have CFL football back, DT. I think we've wandered all over the place because there's been so much to talk about and there's so many different unique situations. But this week... I texted you and I said, man, why don't we just, why don't we just do Ryder's offense? Like Ryder's offense feels like it is the conversation around the league. Cause you got a star quarterback making comments that we don't usually hear. You got a big play receiver coming in at a time where your star quarterback is complaining about not making big plays. You just, you put it all together. I'm like, let's just dive in. Let's do this thing. I love it. There's so many, sorry to sit the sip from my Ryder's glass. <laughs> Drinking the green, green Kool-Aid over there. Oh, makes makes the Diet Pepsi go down so much better. Or you know what? If you had a fine beer, it's perfect size for a single beer, Marshall. There you go. I was actually going to get to the sponsor reads. I wanted to make sure people knew we were doing ride, rider stuff uh, on this podcast. But I also wanted to uh, pretend that this podcast is brought to you by Dad Skills. Dad Skills. <laughs> uh, a book that I'm holding up for DT. Uh, how to be an awesome father and impress all the other parents. Uh, this was a gift that I was given uh, for my son's first birthday. Wish they would have given it to me a year ago. Uh, but it says, From Baby Wrangling to Taming Teenagers by Chris Peterson, the author of Man Skills. Uh, and it is a delight. It is a wonderful book uh, dealing with picky eaters, capturing baby's precious moments, keeping the baby bumble- bundled at the wrong time. It's got everything. Learning how to burp the bit. Where was this a year ago? What the hell? But the right? reason the reason I bring yeah. this up is because uh, I had a great message that came in from a CFP listener this week uh, before we dive into all the X's and O's and everything else here. Uh, and the message was just extremely kind, and, but it was a bit meandering at the start, which is why it was kind of funny too. And I wanted to read it to you. Uh, hello, Marshall Ferguson. I happened to read your July 2020 article regarding Russ Jackson, which, by the way, one of my favorite articles I've ever written. If you haven't checked it out, go back. I tracked all of Russ Jackson's throws in every great cup. It was super fun. Uh, He says, while I was looking for contact info for Russ, I enjoyed the article. By the way, I do have Russ's home telephone number, but I don't want to bother him if his health is poor or he is not wanting to speak to a relative stranger. I'm a retired elementary school principal from the Barrie, Ontario area, uh, area, taught at Queen Elizabeth Senior Public uh, in Peel in the 1970s, helped to coach the Ford boys. I assume that that's Dwayne Ford uh, oh. in, in touch football, which yeah, Dwayne, Dwayne, better be. 
Dwayne Ford in touch football would be terrifying. Uh, but that's just a side story. And then he says, in 1974, at age 26, I was selected to be a contestant on Headline Hunters, a quiz show on CTV at the time. Each episode had a secret guest celebrity, and it was Russ Jackson for my episode. I have always been a football player and fan, and I guessed him correctly. I've tried many times to locate a recording of the show, but I've had no success, grasping at thin air, but hoped by some small chance that Russ might actually have a copy of that show's episode in which he appeared. I don't mind calling him if you think it wouldn't be too much of an imposition. I am 74 years old, and I would very much like to connect with one of my heroes before we both get too old. (laughs) So anyways, I, I responded to this email and it was wonderful. And then he followed up with, thanks so much. Really enjoy your work. Uh, congratulations on the new role. It seems like a very interesting position you are in and all the best to you and Noah moving forward as you continue to be a role model for him. I was like, this is the nicest man I've ever met. It was just, it was a cool random email and I love it. And the CFL family uh, is everywhere at all times, at all ages, all demographics. So I wanted to pass that along because that made me smile this week. Uh, Just like dad skills, dad skills, go uh, go out and get it now. But uh, yeah, the, I also love the idea of being a big CFL fan in the sixties or early seventies. And then having Russ Jackson's very distinctive voice show up on the show. It's almost like if you were doing the celebrity dating game where you hear Russ Jackson's voice on the other side, you're like, come on, really? Like, I know who that is, obviously. <laughs> Russ talking about all the terrible things he would do to you. What would you do to me on our first date? Well, I would go downtown. <laughs> We'd go 999 all night long. I Whoa, would Russ, throw, it, throw wow. the deep bombs. Uh, just like that, we transition into the actual sponsor reads. Fox 40, get back in the game. Fox 40, visit fox40shop.com. Shop for coaching boards, gear, and more, and use that promo code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off your order. And you heard DT talk about all things beer in that rider's glass there, Soda City Beer in Ontario. Get that CFL promo code, and you can give yourself free shipping to Ontario residents. Only, again, must be of legal drinking age. All right. We got the disclaimers out. We got the story time out. We got the, uh, the promo reads and everything, everybody that helps make this podcast possible. Let's talk riders offense and uh, full disclosure i just realized i don't have my laptop charger plugged in so dt give me your opening thoughts on all things riders offense here as i grab my charger we talk endlessly about they cannot hit the deep ball and people refer to it as the 50 50 ball and we'll we'll dive into why i find 50 50 ball to be a hilarious misnomer the truth is they absolutely can't hit the deep ball right that cody fajardo was the second lowest rated deep ball passer into this week. He is now the lowest rated deep ball passer once again. They can do great things in the passing game. Their passing is better than their running game, uh, believe it or not, despite the number of people who tell me that William Powell needs more carries and we need more in the run game. But they're going to, if they hope to beat Winnipeg in the West Final, if they hope to win the Grey Cup, they have to unlock the, the deep passing game. Cody's crushing it in the intermediate range. For my taste, they focus a little bit too much on the line of scrimmage and behind passing game. That gets kind of old fast. Uh, but they're going to have to unlock this deep ball game because it's if, – if nothing else, we will shut up about it if they finally unlock it. Yeah, for sure. So here's the, the base stats that jump out to me before we get into some of the funky ones, the unique ones that we both have on this. When I was going through and preparing for uh, the game that I will be calling tonight here on Wednesday, October 6th, as you're listening to this, hopefully, or if you're listening to this on Thursday, then, hey, I hope you enjoyed the game last night. Uh, But I have the call of Toronto against Ottawa on TSN on Wednesday night. And uh, 
uh, in doing prep for that, I'm looking at deep ball efficiency and trying to see where Ottawa and Toronto stack up. Well, of course, I'm assuming, well, there's there's no chance that you're going to end up having Ottawa be very high in many, if any, of those metrics. And I see that they have only five passes completed of 30 yards or more on yeah. the season. And I go, okay, well, that makes sense because Matt Nichols couldn't throw the deep ball. His arm was all messed up to start the season. Didn't have very much time. Dominic Davis comes in and sure, he likes to sling it deep, but he really didn't do that in 2021 thus far, the way he did in 2019. And then you end up having Caleb Evans come in and he's not really a big arm guy, but he's extremely efficient Again, short intermediate running around creating. So I'm like, yeah, of course, Ottawa's was going to only have five. Then I see that they're tied with the riders with five completions of 30 yards or more on the season thus far, as we've passed the halfway mark, Saskatchewan has only five passes of 30 yards or more, according to the CFL stat line. And when I, I saw that, I'm like, They've had one quarterback playing 95% of the snaps throughout the year. This is a Jason Moss offense. This is, again, not necessarily the world's most explosive, most name-brand notoriety receiving group, but that's why people are harping on it is because I think it's, it's crystallizing just how ridiculous this is based on the pieces that you have involved in the play and you're putting the play out there onto the field and you're just not getting any of this explosive ability, which is a game changer in the Canadian Football League. As you say, if you want to go in a playoff run, Zach Kalaros was throwing check down, check down, Andrew Harris running back screen, slant, check down, slant, check down, flat route. And then he would take a shot over the top and it would be the backbreaker. And that's mm-hmm. that was the secret sauce to what they did in 2019 to win the Grey Cup. So you got to be able to hit some of these vertical shots. Not all of them. DT and I are not saying, hey, go 100% seven for seven in the playoffs and score five touchdowns on this stuff. We're saying hit it more than 23.2%, which is what they are doing by my math right now. Yeah, uh, air yards, 20 or more downfield is where I go with with deep balls. And Fajardo, including this week, 10 for 39, one touchdown, seven interceptions. Yeah. And you brought up a super interesting point. The point you brought up on, uh, we were talking about the Ricardo Lewis, the final play, the interception that killed the game against Calgary. You were talking about something that you learned, mm-hmm. uh, you that sorry, that you were taught when you were a quarterback that I didn't get to follow up on the show, but drop that point now and I'll give you my, uh, my yeah. addendum to that. I'm interested what you have to say on this because this is um, something that was, it's funny now that I'm older and I'm looking back at how I was coached and how I learned the game, because I feel like I'm constantly relearning the game. The more I study, the more I watch these games in the CFL and U sports. So, but when you're a younger kid, your coaches just want to give you something consumable that you can understand that you can, something goes off in your brain. And what they told me was don't throw a vertical route into a vertical defender. And so what that meant was if it's cover two and you're running a seam route, uh, you got a guy running right down the chute. That's great if he's going to split the safeties or if you're going to throw it on a rope right off the middle linebacker's ear and split between the cover two. But if they're in cover two and you've got a wide receiver who's running directly at where that safety is, why am I going to throw vertical into a vertical defender? Mm-hmm. If you are in man coverage and you have no leverage, like the defensive back is basically running the route for you, well, you can try and throw him out and away to the sideline, but why would you just throw it straight down the field as if he's just going to run underneath it if that defender is running right underneath it? And what I've seen from Cody a lot of the times, and what I mentioned on the sports cage that you're referencing is he's throwing these vertical routes that he wants them to be 50-50 balls but he's throwing vertical routes into vertical defenders more than he should. It's not always, yeah. but, and sometimes these CFL guys get away with it, man. I'm, I'm trying to think Taylor Cornelius, the long touchdown he had against Ottawa to Shiraz down the middle of the field. 
where it's like a 40 some odd yards in the air. And then Shai Ross turns, runs 20 yards into the end zone. That was great. I have no idea if Taylor Cornelius was trying to do that because not only was there a vertical defender that he threw a vertical ball into and he got away with it, he also accidentally back-shouldered Shai Ross on a, a throw location that you would never try as a quarterback knowing that there was somebody draped all over that guy in front of him. So defender overruns it. Vertical defender makes a bad play. Hey, that's the Ottawa Red Blacks so far in 2021, even when they're playing against Edmonton. Uh, and so you end up having essentially a touchdown. But for me, I'm looking at the process. I'm not looking at the result. And Cody's process on these deep balls, I would say for about two-thirds of the deep shots has not been great, which is why when he said those comments of I'm frustrated 50-50, we're not making plays, we got to, got to, it's fine. I get where he's coming from, but I haven't loved the way that he's approached it or the locations that he's put the ball to try and help his receivers. Yeah. Uh, stick around for later in the podcast because I have a tremendous 50-50 ball stat that relates to the newest rider receiver, Duke Williams. I think it'll it'll surprise there were six deep shots that Fajardo took in this game. Uh, and I, just as I go for them from memory, he misses Kyron Moore. Uh, it's it's one-on-one. -on -one. There's not a guy over top, but he missed him. He missed Keenan LaFrance going right to left. There wasn't a guy over top. Uh, he gets him. He gets Keenan Schaefer-Baker in one-on-one -on -one with a, just a perfect ball. Amazing. It ends up being a 71-yard catch and run. He gets uh, Ricardo Lewis on a 20-yard in route, a super deep in route. So we're not, this is not one where we're talking about a guy over top. Uh, I think it was probably Moxie who broke up one in the end zone. That was one-on-one. -on -one. It, then it's the Ricardo Lewis one that ended the game, right? Which is where, I don't know, it, this is, this, there were two defenders there. So the halfback, Richard Leonard, is clearly able to play, take, be the top of that route, right? Like Ricardo Lewis ain't taking the top off of nothing there because one, uh, Moxie plays him particularly well. And then two, uh, Leonard is there to clean up any mess that he might have. When I think of Cody's prop deep ball in 2021, um, his accuracy, uh, I have it being about seventh in the league accurate on about two thirds of them, though he's complete completing about a quarter of them. Uh, they're just vertical misses. Kyron Moore is wide open against Winnipeg miss Kyron Moore is wide open in this one miss uh it, it just there aren't a lot of but then there are there are times oh uh the final the interception against bc where he goes to john jalen edwards cooper basically runs the route for mitchell picton yeah. and takes the ball away you go okay i wouldn't have thrown that one uh but then he he talked about how he he was trying to get the the underneath route kyron moore but the sam jumps it or the will jumps it and now there's problems. And so I just got greedy and went for it. I, I feel like it's more of he's he's trying to be what he was with the deep ball in 2019. Uh, the 2019, he was the top rated deep ball passer by our charting in, in the Canadian Football League. And and I brought that stat up to him probably five times. And he goes, well, you were the top rated deep ball passer because you want to hype it up and let Ryder fans know, hey, this guy has got it good. Yeah. But year to year that stat is not remotely consistent no. not at all uh chris strebler the strevolution was the top rated <laughs> deep ball passer in 2018 and a lot of that was hey you know what we're gonna do we're gonna get in sneak formation and then you're gonna drop back and throw it one-on-one -on -one to nick dembski because that's because he's you know you can't go wrong with that play it's just it's very fickle and Fajardo with these balls, he, he misses deep. He misses by two yards, five yards, six inches, whatever it is. 
when there misses, it just drags you down. And honestly, to me, he's just in a bad bout of, of variance statistically. Maybe he's, his passer rating should be 70 on these ones, and it's currently 20, uh, right? It, it'll come around, but it'll come around in the long run. And in the short run, we're asking you every damn week, uh, are you guys going to hit the long ball at any point? Because statistical variance, any gambler will tell you, it sucks. Yes, and and I'm I'm nervous because again I'm focused on the process and not on the result. I'm nervous that this is not variation, and, okay. and I, I, I'm not saying that it's not. I just there's some things with the pro like the offense that he's in now is is dramatically more variable than the one he was playing in in 2019. So that makes me believe that maybe this is the status quo maybe this process is to stay maybe there isn't a ton more development in this year in this offense maybe he needs more time maybe they need a different setup or otas or more time in person or i don't know what i'm just saying there's there's a lot of factors that goes into this and and it does make me uh, a little bit concerned that perhaps this is kind of the peak of where it's at i I want to mention as well, just before we move on here, you were mentioning about this revolution. I had a funny moment with Paul Apolis on the CFL and TSN Zoom call the other day where we're sitting there talking about the game and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, the Zoom box opens up. It's Lapo. And he turns his camera on. He's looking down at his phone, looking down at some notes. And he looks up and he sees that it's me. And he goes, shit, it's Marshall. And I go, what? He goes, <laughs> he goes, he goes and he was dead serious. He just goes, you know the whole offense, man. You keep tweeting out all the clips of the stuff that we're running that we ran in Winnipeg. <laughs> and he was like upset that I was calling the game because I think he thinks for the Argos Red Blacks game, I'm just going to be pointing out, hey, look, there's all the stuff that Lapo used to do in Winnipeg. I'm like, no, I just, I do that because it's fun to see this. I told him, I'm like, man, it's just fun to see the staples coming back. It's fun to see the stuff that you are obviously very comfortable calling and it's, it's brought to life in a different city with different personnel. And uh, so anyways, that was a funny moment where he looked down and he went, Oh God, you're calling the game. That's awful. Um, The, the passer efficiency rating, I don't know the exact uh, math calculation, the way that they do this in terms of quarterback efficiency. I've never really dove into the math on this, but I do know that when I again was prepping for Toronto, Ottawa, I'm looking at attempts of 20 plus yards down the field. And what you've got here is just a stunning collection of information that really tells you where we are at uh, with mm. the riders thus far. And to give you an idea, the efficiency rating from the top down is on deep passes. BC is 18 of 37. They're completing almost 50% of their passes for 708 yards, seven touchdowns, DT, one interception. Seven, seven touchdowns, one interception on passes of 20 plus yards down the field. That's an efficiency rating of 174.2. Again, whatever that number means to you, just remember that number 174.2. And I, I assume, I assume the interception was Nathan Rourke because I think Riley, unless Riley did it this last week, but yeah, that's, I, that's nuts. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think no. it might've been Rourke. There's too many throws rattling through my head at this point in the season. But um, the next one that I've got for you here is Winnipeg. Okay, Winnipeg is 21 of 44. Again, nearly 50%, 660 yards, 11 touchdowns, three interceptions on passes of 20 yards or more. Remember that 174.2 that told you to remember? That's the top. Second place, Winnipeg, 159.3. And then I'll give you the bronze medal here. It is Edmonton, believe it or not. Edmonton, 19 of 36 on passes of 20 plus yards in the air, 52.8%. They're completing actually more than the gold or the silver in this category. 632 yards, which is almost the same as Winnipeg, 
They've got six touchdowns, four interceptions. So not as explosive, not as time a big play, but it's efficiency rating of 128.5. So it's 174, 159, Mm. 128. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders efficiency on passes of 20 yards or more, negative 0.9. Like whatever the math is that goes into calculating quarterback efficiency ratings, the rest of the teams in the CFL here are 174, 159, 128, 113, 89, 84, 83, 36 is the Ottawa Red Black. So if you're a Riders fan and you're looking at Ottawa's offense and, and thumbing your nose and going, oh, God, they're awful. What a <laughs> terrible team. They, they have a deep ball efficiency rating as quarterbacks of 36.4. Saskatchewan's is negative 0.9. I didn't know that yeah. efficiency ratings could go negative. The numbers on Saskatchewan, again, 9 of 40 is what the league officially has. I actually have 10 of 43 because I count some of the like pass interference calls and stuff like that. But mm. um, but it's a 22.5% completion rate, 300 yards. Remember how I told you that BC had seven touchdowns, one interception? Well, this is seven interceptions, one touchdown. Yeah. And, and something that has jumped out to me, DT, is I've been kind of trying to figure out why all of these numbers are playing in and what is happening with Saskatchewan when, when they can't complete these deep passes is I'm wondering first and foremost personnel, because we all know Shaq Evans is an explosive deep ball player and he has good chemistry with Cody. So that unquestionably plays into it. When you look at the percentage of passes that have gone to Shaq Evans because of the injury he suffered to his foot ankle area, he got 4.6% of Fajardo's deep targets on the year before he got injured. Like, if you would have told me halfway through the year, yeah, Shaq Evans is fully healthy and he has less than 5% of the deep throws, I'd be like, shut up. That's yeah. not gonna, that would never be a thing. Uh, Braden Lenius has 13% of those. Keen Schaefer-Baker has 18%. And then Kieran Moore has 25.5% of those deep targets. Other people that are qualified and get numbers, Williams Lambert, apparently done for the year, had 11%. Uh, and then, yeah, I mentioned Pickton and Ricardo Lewis, 11% as well. So, there's a bunch of guys basically here that have been getting sprinkled around, trying to find chemistry, middle of the season, new offense, all the rest. And the new offense note, I, I wanted to say this as well. I looked at the the run pass percentages play calling for Jason Moss versus Stephen McAdoo of 2021 versus 29, uh, 2019. And this year, the percentage of called pass plays in games from week one chronologically to now, 68%. Then it dives down to 55% against Hamilton because they just wanted to beat up the Ticats and they had the lead. Uh, yeah. 60, 68% again. Okay, so you go back to where you were week one. So that seems like that's their standard. Week five, you're going up against Winnipeg and you end up falling behind a little bit. And all of a sudden, it's what well, we got to throw. 81% pass in that game. Then yeah. week six, okay, let's get back to who we are. Dives back down to 63%. Then it goes even lower, 58%. Then in week eight, Yep. 74.5 then in week nine 75.3 so you've gone 68 55 68 81 63 58 74 75 it's and then i looked at the, the first eight games of 2019 with steve mcadoo different offense different style different approach 56 63 58 59 57 i sound like i'm reading off scores from figure skating like they're yeah. all, they're all so close together, and and it makes me wonder just how much that consistency and that rhythm for Fajardo in 2019 of I'm gonna give it to Powell, I'm gonna give it to Powell, I'm gonna pop a little quick pass out, give it to Powell, 
throw a screen here, throw an in-breaking route there. Okay, let's take our shot. Because Moss's stuff is not that systemic and formulaic. Now, there's a lot of those stretch handoffs. There's a lot of those bubbles and quicks. And like you're talking about, passes behind the line of scrimmage. But it's not as, as rhythmic of an offense as what Stephen McAdoo was running. I'm not saying it's worse. I think it's probably better once you get adjusted and you learn when and where to take your shots. I'm just not sure that he's there yet. And I think that, that those personnel numbers that I tell you and the percentages of run pass and getting into a rhythm and knowing what's coming off the sideline, what play you're going to have called into your headset, uh, how you're going to execute that play, the rhythm of getting in and out of the huddle and knowing your own offensive coordinator's tendencies. Again, mm-hmm. as, a, as a former quarterback, that stuff, it really, really, really does matter. I am uh, no doubt. The, and one of the things that people here keep coming back to is, well, we need to give William Powell the ball more, which I think on the surface sounds fantastic, right? Head coach Craig Dickinson likes to talk about, we want to be a power running team. Thing is, they're way more successful when they pass on first down. Of course. Way yeah. more successful yeah. when they pass on first down. And this not including this week, uh, run plays from the running back this season, ninth in yards after contact. So yeah, what so we're for, not seeing is the William for, Powell of 2019. And for there may be a zillion, a couple of reasons why that is, including William Powell is 33. But Jason Moss, Jason Moss has been able to paper over a troublesome offensive line, I think is, is the one thing I need to take away from all this. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. I just, I don't want to cut you off here with those thoughts. I yeah. just wanted to say, I, I completely agree with you, and it is statistically proven that throwing the ball on first down is more successful than running the football on first down. So I'm not saying that I want them to go back to the stone ages of Stephen McAdoo trying to go 50-50 split and see how, how, many times he, how many times he can cheat death on first down by gaining four yards and then saving himself with a seven-yard pass completion. Yeah. What, I am, what I am saying is if you are going to go whatever percentage you want to go. Now, I'm not saying go BC Lions trailing late in the game, 95% pass. Uh, but what I am saying is if you want to go 75, 80% pass, like they have in the last two weeks where it's been 74% and then 75%, if that's your normal, make that your normal. Like make, make that your rhythm. And once mm. you establish that rhythm, then Cody will be able to develop inside of that and know that, okay, I understand that I'm going to, let's say, and again, it's the math on this breaks down differently for every team because you're talking about teams that want to stay on the field, teams that want to be big shot plays like Montreal. When I was a quarterback, and again, I'm, I apply a lot of my own kind of personal experience to this, I would, the best feeling in the world was knowing what was coming off the sideline in terms of a play call because I knew that I was on the exact same page as my offensive coordinator. There were times where I would look at my play band after I would hand it off on first down, we'd get a gain of two second and eight immediately. I go into like warrior mode in my mindset, right? That quarterback mentality of like, I don't give a damn. I'm going to take whatever they, they give me off the sideline here and I'm going to make the best of it. But at the same time, I was always thinking to myself, give me the thing that puts me in the best situation to be successful. Mm -hmm. I need, I need you to know what I need. And I need you to give me what I need so I can give you what you need, which is a first down here. And I would sometimes look at my play band, open it up before the call would come in. And we used like a color and Roman numeral system at McMaster when I was there. So, uh, you know, blue was sky, green was grass, maroon was shirt, white was uh, black was cover the eyes. And so we had all these different and then you would go, you know, Roman numerals one, two, three. And so I'm on the band and I would look down and I would see blue three was gun ace, right? 60 levels win. And I would be, I would just look at it and go second and eight 
God, I want that play. And I would just think to myself, <laughs> give it to me. I would literally look at John Behe, my offensive coordinator, Steph Patatsk, my head coach, and I'd be muttering under my breath, you guys know I want this. Give it to me. Let's go. Let's go. And then you would see, here comes the signal, points to the sky, blue. Roman numerals, one, two, three. Blue three, I already knew what the play call was. I walk into the huddle. Okay, let's go, guys. Gun ace right, 60 levels win on one-on-one. Break. Walk out of the huddle, see the coverage, understand it, trust it. I've got confidence. I'm in a rhythm. I've got time. And then I make a throw. And I make a throw for a 20, 25, 30, 35-yard gain. And we're moving the sticks. And that's what offense is about. I just don't know right now what Cody's rhythm is. And that's the thing that keeps jumping out to me is, you know, Moss will come off the sideline and he'll call run three times. And then they won't move the chains and he'll come out the next time. He'll call six straight passes. And I get it. He's trying to mix it up in variation, but sometimes he'll go with uh, two fullbacks and a running back in a triple I formation, like the first play of the game. Well, he goes play action out of this triple I back set. And the, fr- I believe it was uh, Sean Lemon submarines, the front fullback creates a pile. Albert Awachi has to jump over the top, makes a big mess for rolls out to his right, throws the ball away. Like mm. it's, and that's your first play of the game as well. Let's go triple I formation play action. And now for screwed and he has to throw the ball away. How are you going to get into a rhythm on the first play of the game if that's what you're dealing with? And again, I'm not saying Moss is a bad offensive coordinator. He knows 10 times more about football than I will ever forget. But I, I'm just looking at this and thinking to myself, I want for Cody to have an understanding of what's coming off the sideline, when it's coming off the sideline, because he's up against enough with the adversity of, you know, being the writer's starting quarterback, which is a pretty contentious spot to be in. And also having injuries to your offensive line, your receivers, get him in a rhythm that has to be the focus. And once he's in a rhythm, I really think he'll adapt to whatever that rhythm is. Yeah, I wonder in the very beginning of the season, the first couple of games, it was I was trying to keep up with this offense right in the first bit of they were trying to go fast. And it was nonstop personnel changes, right? Okay, well, Awachi's in and, and LaFrance is in with Powell. Okay, they're out and Lenius is in and here's an American receiver. Okay, now they're out and here's Josiah St. John as the tight end and the fullback. And boop, oh my gosh. <laughs> boop, they boop, boop. To, yeah, they get to the Winnipeg game and that stuff kind of stops because they went, oh wait, we're, okay, this is a problem. And so they've been a lot of fullback and lineman tight end these last few weeks. But against the Calgary game, I... I'd have to go back and see the numbers, but I feel like we saw this, this three backs in the backfield that Moss brought with him from Edmonton. Okay. It's still, it's still there. I wonder how much of that, I wonder how much of this could be solved. If when I think of the 20, is it the 2018 Hamilton tiger cats uh, where Masoli looked like pro. a superstar? Yeah. Six and six and seven man protections. And they ran it three times as often as the league average. Right. But they knew, okay, Lyman time. Okay. Now we're going to go. But of course, you have Banks and Addison and then whoever the third one was. And you have super elite receivers. I wonder if there's, if there's a, just a lot going on with Moss's, Moss loves. I asked him in a, in a news, in a, uh, in availability last week on a scale of one to your family, how much do you love pre snap motion? <laughs> and he giggled and he's like, I, if you watch, you could tell I like it a lot. Right, because there's always this, and guys are oh, now I'm doubling back this way. Lenius is going over here. Now I'm in the backfield. Powell split out wide, and he's coming in. And then you combine that with everything else. I wonder how much that. I wonder how much mental capacity that takes up, and if that takes away from, from you know, maybe there maybe a little more grip it and rip it, if you know what I mean, would yeah. would well, benefit. And, go ahead. 
No, I, I was just going to say that it, this is a question I want to ask the listeners specifically, but I, I, I will address it to you and see what you have to say on it, because uh, I do I do genuinely wonder this. Is there something to be said for trying to call an offense with so much variation for the sake of having variation? Like, And I guess the difficult part of this question is for Cody Fajardo, do you blame Cody for not being able to pick up all 500 pages of whatever Moss has in his playbook? Or do you blame Moss for having 500 pages and not letting Cody Fajardo just play? Because I got a feeling that if you gave Cody Fajardo a seven-play playbook, he'd probably move the football. Like, if, yep. if you gave him enough singular staples and they weren't completely bland and totally predictable, he has the ability to create in a way. And again, I, I hate that I sound like I'm whining about Moss and complaining. I'm just, I'm asking the honest question because I don't have an answer and I don't think any of us do, but it's an interesting conversation. Is do you blame the person who's offering up all of the offense or do you blame the person who's not picking up all of the offense? And, and for me, Fajardo is in a spot where he's being given access to a great offensive mind that's taking some of the stuff that he ran. I've heard him talk about this this year. Some of the stuff he ran previously, meshing it with the stuff that Moss does, changing some of the terminology, and then basically throwing out this thing that is supposed to be super dynamic. And at times it is. I mean, against the Ottawa Red Blacks, the crazy high completion percentage, the first half against the BC Lions in week one, uh, the fourth quarter even in BC outside of the touch, the interception, I should say. It's like they're moving the ball. They, they're getting up to the line. They're playing quickly. And that's even through all of the injuries. But there's a lot of times where it's like, like I say, we're going to come off the side, like for the formations and not even the formations, the personnel groupings here, DT, before I mm -hmm. answer this question is like, they've taken so far this year. And again, I understand this is not great radio slash podcasting to just read you off numbers on this stuff, but um, they've taken 27 snaps of two receivers, one fullback, two running backs with an extra offensive lineman. in. so that sixth offensive lineman, there's been 27 snaps of that thus far in terms of three receivers, one fullback, two running backs. They've had four of those snaps. In terms of one receiver, zero fullbacks, three three running backs, so the three-back set, uh, they have had uh, one of those this year. Two receivers, zero fullbacks, three running backs. They've had themselves uh, four of those this year. Three receivers, zero fullbacks, three running backs. So far this year, they've had seven of those snaps. Uh, one receiver, one fullback, and three running backs. That's usually the diamond thing they like to run. Uh, so far this year, they've had 27 of those snaps. Two receivers, one fullback, three running backs. So far this year, they've had, oh, we got a little bit more of that here, 37 of those. One receiver, two fullbacks, three running backs. They've had uh, five. Uh, I mean, it's just like four, four receivers, zero fullbacks, one running back. They've got four receivers, zero fullbacks, two running backs. They've got four, one, and one. They've got 501. They've got like all the way that I label these things. Moss has run. 15 different personnel packages when you have three different positional groups and six players allowed to be on the field. Mm -hmm. Do we need that? And, and this well, is, this is why I'm throwing yeah. it out there is I don't, I just, I don't know. I don't know if that's helping or hurting at this point. There, there was, there's, there's a lesson I took from, I used to try and play poker pretty seriously. I never played for big money, but I did a lot of studying in it and it, and they talked about deception and I kind of carry that forward to me when I talk about football is uh, you can deceive in a couple of ways. You can do the same thing from different formations, or you can do different things from the same formation. And to hear that and to see it, you know, for eight games, they're doing different things from different formations all the time. 
and different personnel groups. And okay, there's I there's a lot of mental processing that goes on there. And sometimes you just want a little break. Yeah. Right? You just you just need a break. I've talked to quarterbacks like, hey, the uh, I I'm not I, I'm I'm on the running backs don't matter bandwagon. I go, oh, yeah, so am I. I said, well, what about this thing where if the running game gives you a mental break? Like, oh, I, I, that's absolutely that's I'm surprised people don't mention that more often. That that's the best thing we can do with the running with running the ball is I don't have to think for a second. I don't have to wonder, am I going to get killed by a lemon off the edge? And are they are they going too high or is this guy just faking it? It's there's all sorts of stuff in there. So I I think maybe if you shorten that up, right? If you if you take away the snaps that Keenan LaFrance and Jamal Morrow get in there, okay, you get the team that's less involved. Moss Moss talks about I want everybody to feel like they're involved. But if this team gets to be five and five or five and six, pretend it really turns sour. Okay. At some point we need to just get back to these are our guys. These are our horses. We're going to run with them. When Shaq is back, Shaq better not come off in any packages. When Duke Williams starts in the third Calgary (laughs) game, he better never come off the field. Yeah. If he's coming off the field, so I will be like, I will think something is going very wrong because so, Shaq and Shaq and, and, and uh, Duke should never leave the field. I hadn't even thought about that yet, but maybe he's doing this because his hand has been forced and maybe he's doing this because it's what he likes to do and he likes to mix it up. But I don't remember Edmonton having this many formations and this much mixing up. So I'm wondering mm. when, when Duke and when Shaq are back, I wonder if he ends up just flipping the script towards the end of the season being like 90% five receiver set. Oh. Like just like just decided, yeah. you know what? Like, like I don't have to do all this dipping and doodling and, and mixing it up and yeah. drawing it up in the dirt. Like maybe I just have the horses now. Well, and, and there's an important difference. And, and uh, this is another one where I teased him about it on, on Tuesday. Think of the teams that the receiving course Jason Moss put out in 2017 and 2018 versus the Riders. This game for the Riders, Kean Schaefer Baker, Ricardo Lewis, Braden Lenius. Kyron Moore, Mitch Picton. That was a standard three-by-two formation. In 2017, in, after, say, the halfway point of the season, he got to put out Darrell Walker, Adarius Bowman, insert Canadian here, Brandon Zilstra, and Duke <laughs> Williams. In 2018, Bowman was gone. Darrell Walker, Bryant Mitchell. Duke Williams came inside to the Y. And then, uh, gosh, uh, Vidal Hazleton was in that group for a bit. I think Kenny Stafford might have been in there. They put out on like that 2017 receiver, Zilstra and Duke Williams and Adarius Bowman at 168 targets a year. And oh, by the way, Darrell Walker, come on. Yeah. That's that's unbelievable. And it's that's not in Saskatchewan right now. That's we've been really hyped on, man, these Canadian receivers are fantastic. Yes. However, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. If an American receiver was doing what Kean Schaefer Baker is doing, it would not be nearly as big a deal. Uh, Kean Schaefer Baker has been fantastic. There's so many parts of his game that I love, love about it, but I we're giving it a little much because he's Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I know that we're guilty of that. And I've always just been like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I know that we yeah. do it. I know, I know that if Nathan Rourke were an American quarterback who came in and had five attempts at the end of the game this past week against Winnipeg in the fourth quarter, I wouldn't have isolated and created a cut up of his throws. 
but he's Canadian and the ball was jumping out of his hand and it got me excited. So I went back through, grabbed all four or five of his throws in garbage time and pieced them together and sent them out. Cause I was like, Hey, everybody look, this Canadian quarterback, he's going to be awesome. I wouldn't have done that if it was, uh, you know, Grant Kramer, I think was the third stringer that yep. came in and played three plays before he ended up getting injured in BC. So I agree with you. We, we absolutely do that. Who, who are the five for you? If everyone's healthy, like it, it's Duke Williams, it's, if, it's Kieran if Moore. Was healthy. Like I'm, I'm saying going forward here, like that third game in Calgary, I'm wondering if we can project and give riders chance. Cause we've dumped all over the offense here, trying to figure out what's yeah. going on for a while. But if you're looking forward and giving some hope, who are the five names? Because to me, it's Schaefer Baker. You can't remove at this point. He's just playing at too, too high of a level. He's established himself, which is crazy to say in such a short period of time, but he just feels like you can't take him off the field. Duke Williams, Shaq Evans, Kieran Moore, Kane Schaefer Baker. And then who's the five? Probably Braden Lenius with the way that that's going to line up in, in a per so in a perfect world, Jordan Williams, Lambert, they, they told us Tuesday, probably done for the season. He's, He's dealing with some stuff and he's got a wrist problem. In, a, in an absolutely perfect world, Shaq is the X. Duke is nominally the W, but they use him to the field so often that it, but he's nominally the W. Jay Will would be the R, which he was in 2018, where he just crushes dudes underneath and catches touchdowns in the red zone. Uh, you would have Kyron Moore at the Y and you would have Kean Schaefer Baker at the Z. That would be in a perfect world. So you don't get uh, you don't get the chance to put Jordan Williams Lambert in there. Braden Lenius can do some stuff in there, but that guy's got to be there. May be nationality concerns because that guy comes out in so many formations to get Keenan LaFrance in there. Uh, right now, they've started nine Canadians against Calgary, so they should be very flexible to do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't make Ricardo Lewis the R. That doesn't seem to fit there's not another guy on the roster who would be that R. So I feel like it would be Lenius. So Shaq, Duke, Lenius, Kyron Moore, uh, Key and Schaefer Baker. That's probably the five come playoff time. If everybody's healthy. Sounds good to me. Jeez. Yeah. That's, that's a great lineup right there. The last thing that I will say before we get to some Duke Williams numbers, cause I want to get to that 50, 50 stat that you have is mm-hmm. um, when it comes to the amount of mental processing you were talking about with all that variation, all those personnel groupings, all the different stuff the Moss is running. I'll just say this and I'll leave it for people to think about. It takes a lot for a defense to deal with all the poker cards being held close to the chest that you're talking about with, Oh man, deception. And there's all these things you run same stuff from different things. And it takes a lot for a defense to figure that out. Sometimes it takes the offense a lot to figure it out. And, and that's where I have landed right now on watching what's happening. Cause Winnipeg, runs five out with Andrew Harris in the backfield more than any other team in the entire league. Winnipeg's doing okay. Like, I don't know if we need to have all of this stuff. And I like variation in my football. I like having different personnel groupings and fun formations. So I'm not cheering against it. I'm just saying it might be contributing to some of the lack of rhythm that Cody Fajardo was experiencing at this point in the season. And something to watch going forward. I don't want, I don't want riders fans booing every time an extra fullback comes off the sideline, but uh, it's just something to keep an eye on. I think if you're a riders fan or a CFL fan watching riders games. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just add one in one final thing uh, through before this week, before the Tuesday game of this past week, uh, Cody Fajardo versus expectation, the most accurate passer in the CFL. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much that means. Like that's adjusted for depth and width and everything. I, Cody's struggling with the deep ball, but everything else, the intermediate route, he is crushing people. 
yeah. crushing and, people. And so Suits was saying on the on the CFO on TSN, just keep chucking, just keep chucking, keep chucking, right? Because he's like, it'll figure itself out. It'll well, maybe sometimes it won't figure itself out. Maybe you should just dominate the intermediate. Like that's also a possibility here, where we just maybe we start saying, okay, we're just wasting downs, throwing it vertically down the field. It's not working for us. Why don't yeah. we go to why don't we go to the things we are fantastic at? Because as you say, the intermediate game for them, again, those are rhythm and timing throws. If you're hitting on a higher clip of those, it's almost like, you know, do you want to go ahead and try to use five dollars to cash in on one big thing, or do you just want to pay with a bunch of quarters? Well, either way, you're going to end up getting the thing that you want, right? So yeah. it, it, I did find Cody's comments about the 10, 11, 12 play drives being frustrating and and trying to dink and dunk and work your way down the field. I'm like, Cody, sometimes that's football, man. I'm like, some sometimes that's but the all style. the time. I know, I know. All it's the di- time. And I'm not, oh. I'm, I'm not wishing that upon him. Like everybody wants to see explosive plays. And as a quarterback, it's fantastic. But to me, it, again, this is the difference between me, a well, quarterback versus Cody Fajardo. Well, wow, quarterback. Uh, is that Fajardo wants the big play because he knows he can hit the big play in the right spot, in the right timing. For me, I always viewed football as requiring me to go 15 plays down the field because I knew I wasn't good enough to hit the big splash play or to break it open and run 80 yards away from everybody like Kyle Quinlan did, the starter at McMaster before me. So when I came in, it was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll complete 80% of my passes and I'll just pick you apart underneath 15 yards. And that's the way that I knew I had to play football. So when I hear another quarterback say, I don't want to do that, I'm like, it's not really about what you want to do if you can do it. <laughs> If you can, and he obviously can, yeah. I, I wouldn't complain if I was as good at Cody Fajardo in the intermediate ranges. I would celebrate that. Yeah. Uh, I think he, he maybe means the minus five yard swing pass. And <laughs> yeah. The three yard speed out and stuff like that. Uh, final, final thought, because I was able to pull it up because yep. I have the 2018 file open. 20 plus yard downfield passes in 2018. Chris Strebler, 15 of 22 for eight touchdowns and oh. no interceptions and a passer rating of 151. How? He led, he led in deep ball. Trevor Harris was number two, 45 points behind him and passer rating. <laughs> it is a fickle stat. And I fully believe that by the end of the season, it will have bounced back for Fajardo and the Riders offense. Deep ball passing is a very fickle stat. When we talked to Lapu the other day, I asked him about the quarterback run game with Caleb Evans for this Wednesday night game. And mm-hmm. I, I said, you know, how do you call things for him? Because I noticed there's some stuff that you ran with Straveler, but he's obviously a different body type and he's a different, uh, you know, type of runner and all the rest and skill set and athleticism. And, and Lap was kind of like, you could tell it was a long day for him. He's pretty tired. He's in his office. He's kind of like scratches his eye, takes a big sigh, and he goes, well, here's the thing. Like the Straveler stuff, as you call it, he's like, it's not really the, the Strevlers. It's that he would take our stuff and just do ridiculous things with it. <laughs> He's like, so we would just call stuff and then he would just change it, but he wouldn't change it at the line. He would just, he would just make it look better than it was. <laughs> um, and, and so when you talk about making things seem better than they actually were, and you mentioned that Chris Strebler stat, I'm like, yeah, he's not supposed to be that good on deep shots. That makes absolutely no sense considering what 2019 was. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's get to the 50 50 ball stuff. Yes. I, yeah. Over, you can imagine covering the riders over the last two days. I've gotten super exhausted with hearing about 50 50 balls. Yes. Yes. 50 50 balls. The, the premise of the 50 50 ball is I, I throw this ball up and either you get it or the def, you win or the defender wins, right? 50 50 proposition, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Basically every catch that Brian Burnham has made, that's been contested for the last four years. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, here's the problem I have with 50, 50 balls is they are not anywhere near 50, 50, uh, a pass more than 30 yards down the field, down the boundary side is completed roughly 32% of the time. Some of that is overthrows. Some of that is underthrows. Uh, some of that is knockdown, interception, drop, blah, blah, blah. It's completed 32% of the time. So right off the bat, it's not 50-50. You would think if anybody in the CFL can win a 50-50 ball, Duke Williams would be a great candidate. Yes? Yep. The Riders, uh, I mean, he is the second deepest targeted receiver in the league in 2017 and 2018. Uh, more than five yards deeper than any rider receiver currently. So they're looking for big things in that. 50-50 balls for Duke Williams in 2018. Led the league in receiving, led the league in touchdown receptions. He had 28 deep balls where we consider him to have been in tight coverage. Presumably a 50-50 situation. Marshall Ferguson with a dramatic pause so people can make their own guess. Of 28 50-50 balls, how many did Duke Williams, an elite deep ball receiver, actually catch in 2018? Pause, pause, pause. Marshall, how many of 28? I have an irresponsible belief that Duke Williams would break this trend that you speak of where it is supposed to be less than 50-50. So I am going to say... 18 of them. I'm going to say he wins 18 of 28 with 10 of them being knocked away. In 2018, on deep balls where we consider Duke Williams to be in tight coverage, he had six receptions on 28 passes. If you expand that out to where he is in tight coverage, also in coverage, so a defender's right on you versus you have half a step on a defender, he caught 13 out of 38 deep balls a third versus uh, a quarter not even a quarter if we stop calling them 50 50 balls i feel like we're going to we're going to improve on so, this it's like it's like the axiom of well three things can happen three things can happen when you pass and two right. of them are bad so let's run the ball that's you're misusing numbers and yes. i hate the 50 50 ball because of that reason right there uh, so here's my question for you on that then. When Cody talks about wanting to throw jump balls to guys or have them make big plays that kind of bail him out on necessarily bad throws, what does that stat say to you about Duke Williams? Does it still say that Duke Williams is an exceptional big play receiver who will make those grabs that Cody is talking about? Or are you saying help is on the way, but it's not the type of help that everyone's assuming they're going to get in Duke Williams? Because I guarantee there ain't a single person who would have guessed six when you asked that question because his perception yeah is throw it as high as you possibly can, and that dude's going to go get it for me. Yeah, I think you're probably... So we had 38 where he was covered or in tight coverage, which means in that year, I believe it means 11 where he was open or wide open. And those 11 are, are their house calls or something very close to it, right? Those are the ones you're going for. Ultimately, ultimately football... I don't know. I don't think football is one with jump balls and fades into the end zone and stuff like that. Football is won by receivers who get open or wide open, right? And quarterbacks that hit them. And Duke Williams, he can do this stuff. If you wanted to, if you wanted to, if you felt a situation where, okay, he's at the X and we're going to throw him a jump ball in the end zone, 
I don't know who's going to battle that. I, I honestly don't know. Uh, against BC in the West Final, hey, Duke, go win this ball against TJ Lee. Done. Okay, well, we're good. I got him by seven inches. We're good. We're going to take care of this. But you're, you're, you want guys that get open and wide open. And Duke Williams does that. And then the other ones are just, everything is so in favor of the defender, but, you know, it's 40 yards downfield. And, and you know, you need to throw a ball accurately 40 yards downfield. Come on, come on. And then one or two defenders are trying to be in the way. Come on. Yeah. Come on. That's, that's super hard. And there's no way it's near 50, 50. So I think you bring in Duke because one, he can also murder you in the intermediate routes, right? He had the third most intermediate targets in 2018 and the fifth most short targets in 2018. And 13 times they said, screw it. We're going to throw a little hitch screen to him because good luck with that. We're going to, we're going to change it up with Duke Williams. Because uh, he can absolutely say, oh, you want a 12-yard post? I'm pretty sure Duke can take that and just, oh, Marcus Sales has the 175-pound safety. God bless you. It's going to be a problem <laughs> when, when he gets there. So I, I just, I think we need to understand what, though we call them one thing, we need to understand that they don't happen nearly as often as we think we there's, they're very memorable when they are right. You and I will remember the Cody Fajardo to Kean Schaefer Baker, 71 yarder for a long time. Cause that was awesome. That's not as frequent or Brian Burnham skying over Ailey Buka in the third BC game in 2019. But those are the exception more than they are the rule. Yeah, no doubt. And I would just say this as well, uh, switching from analytics to fanalytics, as I like to call it, uh, the, uh, the actual fan in me looks at the Duke Williams signing and it just thinks, I just watched back that Saskatchewan BC game yesterday. And I'm telling you that Brian Burnham absolutely despises everything that Nick Marshall and Ed Ganey are. Uh, and, and, and I'm looking at the possibility of a West semi between Saskatchewan and BC with BC going back to where they started in week one, Winnipeg sitting pretty waiting for the winner of that game, but a West semi BC at Saskatchewan that I feel like we are collision course heading towards. And I'm thinking, man, that's that's just a crazy matchup to have that now let's say Saskatchewan gets out of that right they win at home they move on West final let's go to Winnipeg Brandon Alexander has taken runs at Devaris Daniels and Lucky Whitehead and basically if you're running a slant and and Brandon Alexander reads it and he comes downhill good luck now when you're talking about people coming downhill Saskatchewan's like oh you really like hitting receivers over the middle of the field we signed Duke Williams so enjoy and that's this, this is where we kind of get to like the Titans of playoff football starting to take shape and understanding what these matchups are going to look like. At least we think, and I'm looking at Saskatchewan with Duke Williams, it adds so much to what they can do offensively. Again, please don't take him off the field for a triple eye back set on first down. Uh, but, Never. but yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm looking at this and thinking we're starting to crystallize it's the fog is starting to blow out and we're going, okay, what is that offense going to look like versus that defense if they play in the playoffs? Cause we've seen these teams play against each other enough so far throughout the year and the West division, if it holds with BC, Winnipeg and Sask, holy bleep. Uh, Cause w- BC has the ability to beat anybody. Saskatchewan is as powerful and as anybody when they can get their stuff together offensively. And Winnipeg is so much better than I thought they would be. And I'm an idiot for not believing in them. So uh, from the yeah. fan, the fan side of me that loves Canadian football, 
I mean, the East is a little bit, a little bit more up in the air. It's going to be a lot of fun, but I really do think that those three teams in the West, my God, I just, I, w- I would say I can't wait to see them in, in a playoff setting, but similar to what we are getting now in college football, where when Georgia plays against Arkansas, it feels like it's a play-in game for the national championship play, you know, the college football playoff, because you got to win that game yeah. in order to stay in contention. Or, you know, when Notre Dame loses to Cincinnati, it feels like they just lost a playoff game. Well, you're now out of the college football playoff. It's not exactly that in the CFL because we don't have the ranking system and stuff that college football uses. But when I'm watching the last two weeks of BC hosting Saskatchewan and then Winnipeg, that feels like playoff football to me, right? It's, it's acting like playoff football. And I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. Yeah. As we get toward those games, what if Lucky Whitehead is healthy? And what if Dominic Rhymes comes back and they actually figure out what they're doing with Dominic Rhymes in BC? Good Lord. And then Lamar Durant could be healthy. Good Lord. That's then a a real receiving core. Um, The West, I mean, there are three teams in the West better than anything else in the East right now. Uh, Even though BC got fed by Winnipeg after losing to Saskatchewan, They'll be fine. It, uh, <laughs> maybe maybe learn to run the ball, but they'll be fine. Minus uh, one yards from the running back. Good God. I will, uh, I'll just tease my open here for the CFL and TSN for Wednesday night, which is uh, that I've already decided to make it very apparent to people that, hey, Ottawa, tough start to the year, right? Everybody's dumping all over them for five, six, seven weeks in a row. And, oh, my God, they're the worst ever and all stuff. Uh, tonight, they come into BMO Field to take on the first place Argos who are only two wins ahead of Ottawa in standings. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, that's what the East is at this point, is that we are looking at, oh my God, that team's so good, that team's so bad. What's separating them? I don't know, like a game or two? Oh, how many games are left? Still like seven? Huh. So you're telling me the Red Blacks could win the East? <laughs> like, and that's where we're at. So it's it's going to be fun down the stretch. <laughs> And, uh, and again, it's, it's the most ridiculous thing when you have a nine-team league where a team can suck for so long and not actually fall that much further behind. Uh, but, I, I mean, they've also got some hope with Caleb Evans. So uh, let's hope that when we are doing the breakdown next week, we are diving deep on how is it possible that the Ottawa Red Blacks are putting together all of these victories because they've got Marshall. They've got two Marshall. games. They've, they've got two games between now and when we record next. They could be sitting there with four Marshall. victories on the season, DT. Come on now. Marshall, so us have Ottawa under three and a half wins this season. Stop <laughs> talking like that. Stop saying, don't even put that into the atmosphere. Stop uh, it. I know. Stop I it. Know. Uh, that is it for us here on The Breakdown. Give DT a follow at DT on SC, Twitter, Instagram, of course. For us, it is at CF Perspective. I'm at TSN underscore Marsh. Thank you, as always, for listening, following along. We hope you enjoyed the deep dive on The Breakdown today on all things Saskatchewan rough riders and we're looking forward to a great weekend of football dt's got uh the second of the trilogy here against the calgary stampeders which should be a lot of fun let people know where they can follow and listen to all things dt and sports cage at dt on sc 620 ckrm and at 620ckrm.com uh our broadcast uh starts at uh, gosh what is it five o'clock saskatchewan time on Saturday, so you'll get me and my dulcet tone starting at four and my little nerdy stats and my needling of my <laughs> co-host Luke Mullinder. And dear God, if Calgary does not allow any more yards after the catch than they did in game number one, I'm going to lose it because that's too fast to be tackling, guys. Let them play for crying out loud. <laughs> Let them run around. Let the boys play. Right? Run around. Have some fun out Let there. Tyron run. Exactly. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week right here on Canadian Football Perspective.